the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets. I'm your host, The Finance Ghost. I am Mohammed Nala of MoKnows.com. Mo is one of the most respected macro analysts to come out of South Africa. He is now in Canada, so we get his global perspective layered on top of emerging markets expertise. Together, we will unpack the biggest trends and issues and scratch beneath the surface to bring you our insights and share our love and passion for markets and investments. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to Magic Markets. Welcome to episode 36 of Magic Markets and I think it's going to be a really fun show tonight. We're talking about an industry that is fast growing, fast moving, very new, very based on a world of smartphones and people who like to eat, which certainly uh, covers me. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure about you. You're, you're in better shape than me, so I don't know how much you frequent these kind of uh, order-in products, but we can talk about that. And uh, welcome to the show. Tonight we are going to talk about the food delivery market, which I think is going to be an interesting one. Yeah, absolutely, Ghost. I mean, I don't know in, in what great shape you think I'm in. I know that pandemic has been hard on many waistlines, mine included. So, you know, when we're talking about what are you going overweight in the portfolio, uh, maybe food delivery is, is one of those things I've been going overweight in, even if I haven't been buying any of the stocks. That's because you're using that sort of head and shoulders video technique. I can't see what's going on underneath that. And, and, and you know, maybe we should keep it that way. That's probably not a bad thing for both. So, Mo, I wrote an article on Domino's on the financeghost.com this week is in the pizza business and South Africans associate that business with failure because that's what happened in this country. Unfortunately, Taste Holdings uh, made a bit of a hash of it um, as they did with a couple of things. They just were way too ambitious, got tried to get too big, too fast and I don't think they did their numbers and it was just a big mess. It was so bad actually they had to auction the assets off last year and to make it worse, the business started out as Scooter's Pizza in South Africa which was actually a solid franchise business and by the end of it there was simply nothing left because franchisees had basically been asked to convert into Domino's with the promise of bringing this big US brand to the South African market. You know, everyone tried to emulate the success uh, of McDonald's. However, internationally, Domino's has been incredibly strong. Actually, someone shared a graph with me on Twitter the other day, which showed that since IPO, Domino's has actually outperformed Google, which is you know remarkable because everyone just talks about tech the whole time and we forget that there's actually all these other markets out there. And interestingly enough, some of these quick service restaurants are trading at price earnings multiples that would embarrass some of the uh, big tech firms. So Domino's is one, Chipotle Mexican is another. And, uh, you know, these these businesses are, are very defensive and they've done well actually in the pandemic because under social distancing, people concerned about going out and potentially catching the virus or simply not allowed to go and sit in restaurants as is you know, many times been the case here in South Africa, we've seen these so-called quick service restaurants or QSRs actually post pretty good results because people order pizza, locally they'll go and order steers or, you know, or debonairs or something from a famous brands group or spur or whatever the case may be. And I've seen it in the famous brands results down here where these takeaway businesses have actually done quite well. The eat-in restaurants have done poorly. But, you know, the really interesting thing is if you read the earnings transcript from the Domino CEO from the latest quarterly results, their biggest competitive worry is not other pizza chains. Their biggest competitive worry is actually food delivery. And it's a really fast-growing 
industry, isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of investment going into it, lots of mergers and acquisitions, lots of startups. It's something uh, that you may have had a look at. I don't know if there's anything in your portfolio in it. I can't say there is in mine, although it's actually quite hard to invest directly in some of this stuff as, as some of it's sitting in bigger groups, some of it's directly listed. I mean, Mo, in this space, what have you kind of had a look at? Yeah, so I think, you know, just rewinding a little bit, it's very interesting that the big players that are actually producing the food, uh, the likes of a Domino's and, and so forth, are seeing the pressure from food delivery guys. Uh, because it's it's almost as though everything's transitioning into this world of, you know, software as a service. You know, Uber kind of did that with, for example, the taxi industry. So, you know, do these food delivery guys actually prove that much of a disruptor? Is it a sustainable business model? I mean, I, I must be honest, I haven't looked into the sector in, in, a, in a great amount of detail. And some of the reason for that is that a lot of the companies in the space are brand new. They've all kind of just IPO'd a lot, like fairly recently. Uh, I, I've said on the show many times, I, I generally dislike IPOs because I think stocks go into the IPO with a lot of hype. There's no real price exploration. Uh, and so you've got to wait to actually see how that plays out. And that, that's kind of been what my approach has been with a lot of the stocks in, in the space. Uh, if you have a look at uh, pretty much all of the stocks in the fast food sector, you're right. If you look at it over the pandemic time period, they've all done remarkably well. So, uh, you know, you wrote about it on, on Ghost Mail and on the Finance Ghost with regards to Domino's Pizza and how the stock has ratcheted up. It, you said it's got all the toppings. But if you looked at a similar kind of price chart on a McDonald's, for example, which is a, an established business, you know, it's certainly not something you'd put out there as a growth stock. Over the course of the last year, call it 18 months, uh, even the pandemic world, that stock's done remarkably well as well. So it's very much for me, less about the food delivery aspect as it is about the fact that people, like you say, are not going into sit-down restaurants. I think sit-down restaurants even here in Canada have been decimated. And it's because even if you're going out, you're going out to grab a quick burger or a quick pizza, something that you can take to go and eat at home or go and eat it in the park, whatever it may be. So when we try and hone in on what is the disruptor, for me, the question mark is, is less about whether these platforms are the disruptor rather than do dining out behaviors systemically shift from here on out or do we actually go back in, into restaurants? And another important thing, I actually saw this on, on Twitter uh, from, from a guy called Edwin Dorsey and, and he, he writes a lot of the bearish stuff so it was on one of his, his Twitter feeds but he had indicated that the problem with these platforms with the, the kind of you know, order-ins, door-dashes, Uber, whatever it may be, is that people no longer order drinks. So you're not ordering a drink when you go and order on an Uber Eats necessarily. You're ordering the food, it gets delivered to you at home. And so there's a loss of, in aggregate, your higher margin items, both for the restaurant and also if, for example, you're someone who used to go into a restaurant or, or into one of these, these, these fast food places and you ordered some drinks with that, even if you're going into the store, to go and buy your food going forward, there's no guarantee that once your behavior has changed, that it actually changes back. So that was an interesting dimension that I saw on Twitter that I certainly hadn't hadn't considered. Uh, but lastly, one last point here is a lot of these platforms still don't make money. So if you look at the earnings, you know, we know this, we saw this with the Netflix, is that they burn through cash for a number of years. And it's in the hope that at some point in time, 
once they've built up sufficient scale, that as soon as they flick that over into positive cash flow, that you get this massive volume effect that, that comes through. And that's held true for some of the content businesses that we've discussed on the show. But I'm not sure that it necessarily holds true in a food delivery business. And that's simply because there are no real barriers to entry. So there's no competitive edge to an Uber Eats, for example, over a DoorDash, over in South Africa, Mr. Delivery, I'm going to go and look at the platforms, and the one that gets me my food fastest and cheapest is the one who's going to win my business. Yeah, and Mo, there's so much competition in this space, to your point. So, for example, literally today for lunch, I ordered food via Bolt, which is you know another typical ride-hailing app. I think it used to be Taxify in South Africa, but I can barely keep up anymore. And... It was literally 50% off with free delivery. Now, someone somewhere is losing out. And I have no doubt that the restaurant is taking some of the hit because, you know, the app is deciding which specials to show you. And guarantee it's like Google. You know, if you want to be on page one of the search results, you pay. And I'm sure that's the same for the restaurants. But there's no doubt that the app is taking the biggest knock because the restaurants simply can't afford to lose money on selling food. They're not sitting there with venture capital funding trying to sort of grab a slice of the market literally um, and and then hang on to it. So that's what's going on with Bolt, with Mr. Delivery, with Uber Eats. As you say, these things lose a lot of money and the economics are fascinating. So I'll give you some insights, which I'm keen to hear your views on. So one, I've spoken to people who own restaurants and the slice that these platforms take is simply too big. There's not enough of a margin especially to your point where people are not ordering drinks, there's simply not enough margin to be able to pay away 20 or 30% to these platforms, uh, you know, to, to just go and drive the food somewhere. So we have this interesting dynamic where most platform businesses are designed to basically power creators and give them a route to market for some kind of product. That's what Etsy does. That's what Twitter does. You know, that's what a lot of them do. And the difference here is that the creators don't really benefit from this, whereas we absolutely benefit from using Twitter, for example. And the creators who are selling you know, bespoke goods on Etsy are certainly benefiting from that route to market. So that calls into question the sustainability of this food delivery model at the end of the day. The flip side of that is that if the driver is going to drive just a few kilometers in a car to actually drive someone around as a normal Uber, they don't earn much from that. But if you have someone who has their own scooter and goes and delivers hundreds of rands worth of food to a family over a short distance and takes commission on that, it's actually quite lucrative there for the driver. So it, it feels as though there's maybe too much in favor of these sort of delivery platforms, not enough in it for the restaurants, and yet the delivery platforms still are not actually making a profit. And, you know, something that the Domino's CEO raised, which I think is a really valid point, because he was asked, you know, how do you compete with these kind of order aggregators, so to speak? And he said, well, at the end of the day, it's about, obviously, logistically, it's way more efficient if they control the entire order and someone on a Domino's scooter delivers the pizza. I mean, guaranteed the pizza is going to get there quicker, et cetera, et cetera. But the other thing is transparent pricing. And I've certainly seen it with Mr. D. The menu price on Mr. D is not the same as the menu price in store in many examples. So there's an extra markup being added by this delivery company. And again, whether or not they get shared with the restaurants, I'm not entirely sure, but the economics just feel a little bit dicey. So it sounds as though you share that view. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of people don't notice that. So I, I noticed that when I was down in South Africa. I must be honest, I, I was using your food delivery apps a lot more down in South Africa, also because it was a lot cheaper than it is up here in, in North America. To your point with regards to the differential menu prices, that's the point that not a lot of people actually noticed. And you see it on Mr. D, but you see it on Uber as well. And it's, it's really the question mark of how much are you willing to pay up for convenience. Now, if there's some opacity in that pricing mechanism, I think that talks into the trust factor with regards to your users. Because if people start to realize that, hey, maybe Uber Eats or Mr. D or whoever it is, is actually charging us a premium of maybe 20% or 30%, whatever it is. And if that is sustained, that erodes the trust and again, catalyzes a move to the next competitor. So it's a very fluid space. I, I don't think any of these players can truly say that they've 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 tied up the space. I mean even if if you look at old data up in North America, you know DoorDash had about a third of the market, Grubhub had about another third of the market, and then Uber had gone and bought out a small company called Postmates and that gave them about a third of the market. And then there's a whole bunch of these other smaller niche operators in and around that. So no one can truly say that they dominate that space from a food delivery perspective. And I think if you go back to your Domino's analogy, it's very astute on behalf of Domino's because, like you say, you want transparency in the pricing. You want transparency in terms of your value proposition to your end client. Because at the end of the day, there have been stories about food going missing and then you're fighting with your delivery company or, or something to that effect. And this way, it detracts from a Domino's customer, for example. So if Domino's owns that whole value chain, then it actually makes it perhaps a lot more uh, brand accretive, if you want to call it that. I mean, I, I see tons of Domino's uh, motorcycles going around here delivering Domino's pizza. It's very popular. And, you know, I think it's a matter of time before a lot of the other very large players who have the ammo to maybe go into the space start considering whether they want to control that value chain as well. Just go to something like an Amazon, where Amazon has actually started looking at procuring the entire logistical chain. So owning the warehouse, maybe owning the electric trucks that deliver the Amazon goods. And it's because you don't want to A, leave that money on the table. B, you want to ensure that your customer experience is consistent. And C, at the end of the day, you know, it, it makes sense if you vertically integrate rather than having some of these smaller players trying to detract, trying to adjust your pricing and that making you less competitive to maybe other players in your market. That's if you are, you know, Domino's, if the pricing starts moving up via delivery app, someone's going to go to Pizza Hut and that eventually erodes the base that a sound food business might be having as well. Yeah, exactly. And it's going to cause changes, I think, in the way independents compete with chains because Domino's can afford to have their own fleet. But obviously, you know, your little pizzeria around the corner certainly can't. So that little pizzeria is going to always depend on an aggregator for delivery because there's no way that pizzeria can afford to have a team of people out there on scooters and then sitting, um, you know, dormant the rest of the time. I mean, something I always laugh at is half the time these guys, these delivery guys work for a number of different platforms. I mean, they have all the apps on their phone. So he'll rock up in one uniform and actually you ordered via, you know, an entirely different platform. I don't know if it's like that overseas, but it's certainly like that here. It literally happened to me today with the Bolt order. So, 
you know, that's another interesting dynamic is <laughs> you've created a whole of, of entrepreneurs, which I think is fabulous. I mean, people have their own views on the sort of gig economy and, you know, whether or not these guys need to be recognized as workers with, you know, all the stuff that comes with that. I think it's fantastic that they've been given an opportunity to go and be entrepreneurs. When times were good in South Africa a couple of years ago for tourism, I struggled to meet an unhappy Uber driver. They were making good cash and, uh, and, and, and they were happy with it. I mean, it hasn't been the case, obviously, in the last year because of what's happened with tourism. But, you know, back to food, the other thing that's going to come into it is dark kitchens, which basically means a restaurant that doesn't have a sort of consumer-facing um, property angle to it. It's not a restaurant you can walk into. It'll be stashed away in an industrial area somewhere where the rent is cheap, but it's a, a proper kitchen that does really good food. And the idea there is that it will be offered a route to market by these delivery apps, and the costs are then very different. And suddenly it does become profitable to use the likes of Uber Eats and Mr. D for a dark kitchen because it is not incurring the costs of having a nice pretty place to sit in front. It's literally just a kitchen with a, a menu that is designed for delivery. And and that has the potential to, you know, disrupt restaurants to some extent. Having said all of that, I do think that consumer behavior is going to go back to going to a nice restaurant, sitting down, ordering food with your family, your loved ones, you know, celebrating being alive, perhaps more than ever after what the world has been through in the past couple of years. And, you know, that led me to call into question the valuation multiples that the likes of Domino's and Chipotle are currently trading at because they are very, very, very high. And they are based on the earnings over the past year. Yes, the, the track record of these businesses is great, but they've had a huge boost from the pandemic. And it's very arguable whether or not that is actually sustainable. Yeah, so going going back to your dark kitchens idea, I mean that that's a really exciting space because you know in in the unlisted space, some of the opportunities I've I've had a look at over the course of the last two years uh, involve businesses that operate in that space, and like you say, you know it's a commissary kitchen, it exists in an industrial area, and these businesses are basically capacitated to turn out food from a variety of restaurants. So they run almost production lines. It's a food factory or restaurant factory, if you want to call it that. And if an order comes in from, let's say, you know, Pizza Company A, they've got Pizza Company A's entire formula. They've got a production line and it churns out that pizza. Boom. And right next to that, they've got a production line that turns out a cheeseburger, for example. So it's an exciting space. I don't know of any listed companies of scale that are in that space. But I do know that in the unlisted space, specifically in certain geographies in the United States and North America in general, uh, and also in the UK, that there are some guys that are starting to build up some bulk. So maybe that is something to look at. Uh, I tend to agree with you on the point of habits and people going back into restaurants. I mean, as South Africans, we're very social people. We we do a lot of stuff over food. So we'll meet out at a restaurant. There's a, a restaurant culture, if you want to call it that. It's not as simple up here in North America. So something that for me was, was quite an eye-opener is that in certain parts of the United States, there's that whole going out and eating at a restaurant type of culture. In other parts of the United States, even in Canada, it's a culture of you go through a drive-through, you collect your food from a window, 
and then you drive somewhere else to eat it, whether that's your home or that's a park or whatever it is. And that was something to try and get my head around. So I don't think it's as simple as sit in restaurants versus takeout. I think there's going to be space for all different types of players in this market. But going back then to your final point with regards to valuations, I mean, if, if you look at like Chipotle Mexican Grill, I mean, that's trading on like a memory serves about a 90 PE, which is, is even worse than your, your Domino's Pizza example. You know, Domino's Pizza, when I checked, was, was what, close on 50, if, 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 if uh, then thereabouts. So those numbers are very rich valuations. They're valuations, as you indicate, based on behavior that is certainly skewed over the course of the last year. And I firmly believe in not overpaying for a stock, regardless of how attractive the business is. You just have to make sure you pay the right price for a stock. Uh, if you're looking at something that's, for example, a, a McDonald's, you know, maybe trades at a slightly less rich multiple than a Domino's or a Chipotle, uh, Chipotle Mexican Grill, uh, but again, priced at a bit of a premium, uh, I would probably be more open to to to, to that as as uh, as as a longer term hold, uh, simply because of its bulk and momentum. But there's one last point in cognizant of time. There's one last point I want to raise, and that there are other interesting plays in the space. And what about the companies that are capacitating smaller restaurants, whether they're independents, uh, with regards to the software to facilitate them owning their delivery value chain? And for example, I came across one which is called Waiter Holdings. You know, it's it's certainly not cheap. I think it's 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 kind of the low double digit uh, PE. Uh, relative to some of these other stocks that actually don't make money. So at least it makes money. But it's also a stock that's not very well covered. And I, I would call it a penny stock. It trades at about a dollar, dollar fifty the last time I checked. But that's an interesting play because it's a play that if you believe this industry is going to go through a revolution, you know, uh, we were talking about off, off air before recording this. It's like selling the shovels in the gold rush. You know, maybe you're not the gold miner, but maybe you're the guy who wants to sell the shovel. So there's a player called Waiter Holdings. There's another player that sells platforms or that capacitates these restaurants called Olo. And those are the the out-of-the-box ways to try and play some of these themes, certainly if we believe that this industry is going to be facing somewhat of a, a revolution. I mean, you're going to have to go do your homework and see if these stocks make any sense for you. Uh, but just as a cursory view, I'm saying it's not necessarily as simple as picking the big guys that produce the food or picking the big guys that actually deliver the food. There are other parts of the value chain that you might want to look into. The last one there would be, for example, looking at the real estate plays, industrial real estate plays that might be able to be a play on the ghost kitchens, on the dark kitchens that we're talking about. So lots of interesting ways to, uh, to like they say, many ways to skin a cat. Mo, there's some great insights in there and some really cool ideas, which is what we always try and focus on in magic markets is to also see, you know, what else is out there. So I've got one for you. Um, and this is the beauty of the US market is you can often take a pure play view on almost anything. Fortunately, the same is not really true in, in South Africa. So Darden Restaurants Inc., which is uh, stock code DRI on the New York Stock Exchange, as opposed to being a quick service restaurant group, it actually holds a bunch of eat-in restaurants. So... It's quite interesting to look at the relative valuation of uh, of that versus you know the dominoes of this world, and it's a bit you know looking at PEs is a bit difficult for it because it's obviously been through a really tough year. So as much as I hate revenue multiples, it sometimes does make sense to look at that level. And on that basis, Darden looks looks really affordable relative to the craziness that seems to be the case with Domino's, Chipotle. So it's an interesting trade for those who want to take a look at you know, the world reopening in general and people going and sitting and eat in restaurants again, 
is, you know, something like Darden restaurants is is there an interesting play? Yeah, so I mean, my caution around it is, is I'm familiar with Darden, so you know they run the brands of of Olive Garden up here. Uh, there's another one, which is Longhorn Steakhouse and so forth. So, you know, almost similar to your Panerati is your spur kind of setup as you're indicating down in South Africa. Uh, yes, on a, uh, it makes money on a PE multiple basis, not as rich as a Domino's, but still pretty expensive. I mean, if you're looking on earnings, you know, yes, it's been a tough year of earnings and you can expect those earnings to hopefully uh, unlock if the world unlocks. But with certainly a lot of the macro news that we're seeing here around Delta variant now making up 90% of new cases in the U.S., and again, some talks of the U.S. considering further lockdowns in certain geographies. I'd like to say maybe we're not out the woods yet. The stock hasn't corrected. So, you know, it's trading close towards its its, its highs that we've seen over the course of the last year. Uh, and, you know, on that basis, I, I think that, and, and just for, for, for context, you know, the stock going into the pandemic uh, crashed from around the, the lower 100s all the way down to $40.00. It's now at $150. So it's it's at level surpassing where we were going into the pandemic. And on that basis, you know, I think, you know, still a little bit on the rich side from a valuation perspective, there may be easier and better plays to get exposure to to this theme. Yep, and another one that's recovered strongly is is uh, Bitcorp, which is the, the food business essentially that used to be inside Bidvest. Less than 10% of that thing's revenue last time I looked is actually in South Africa. I think it's actually well less than 10%. So they service mm-hmm. restaurants all over the world. And again, I think that, that's that been a good play over the past year, good recovery play. Uh, yeah, going forward, the problem is a lot of stuff in the market looks expensive right now. Some traders will, will, will put on pairs trades to say, well, if these things kind of normalize towards each other, then maybe there's an opportunity. But to your point, it is still expensive overall. So, you know, that is that is a very valid concern. I, I fully agree. Uh, Mo, I guess that's probably all we have time for today. It was, a really, uh, it was a really fun topic, I think, to talk about sort of quick service restaurants, food delivery, it's an exciting space. It's not going away anytime soon. People need to eat. And uh, yeah, on that note, feeling hungry. So I made a couple, tried a couple more food deliveries this week. You should do the same. <laughs> and uh, then I look forward to doing this again with you next week. Indeed. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be thinking of you the next time I order a burger on one of the, the food delivery apps, uh, simply because, like I said, you know, if we're going to be going overweight something, uh, maybe it's our waistlines. <laughs> There we go. Maybe that's the best move in this sector is to go overweight pizza, not the not the company. And, the and maybe itself. and maybe Peloton as as the as, as as the contra trade, right? If we go overweight on our waistlines, maybe we need to exercise as well. So gym groups and Peloton. <laughs> we should do that next week as a follow-up. Mo, thanks Amol, and uh, we'll we'll chat next week. Thanks so much. Remember to visit thefinancegoes.com and monos.com for more detailed insights. This podcast was for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial or investment advice. Please consult your personal financial advisor.